Hello, this is Dominique Hill. Yay! Coming to you from St. Mary Mercy Hospital Emergency Medicine Residency again with our simulation faculty advisor today, Dr. Chris Brock. He's going to be talking to us about an interesting LVAD case he had. Yeah, hi, Dominique. Recently, I had a call over the HEMS radio. It's always uh, that moment when you're listening the priority one. Everybody's kind of listening in, and since it's kind of right around the middle of where we sit, and they're calling in a 55-year-old male with a history of heart failure coming in uh, a heart rate of 250. And the uh, interesting thing is that he's got an LBAD. As you know, everybody's ears perk up when they hear that. It's like, okay, well, what's going on with it? So that's the first thing you're thinking. So they said the EKG showed a wide complex tachycardia rate of 250. So here we go. This is what we got. So one of the residents and I were pulling up our phones and reviewing LBADs real quick. And how to approach them. So we start to ask ourselves, you know, well, what do we do here? So the, the first thing I think you need to ask yourself is how do you approach that LVAD patient? The first thing you do is just like every other patient, address your ABCs, IVO2 monitor. The second thing is have your Doppler ready to measure the map and try and look at perfusion status. And then a third thing that you want to start doing is to have somebody contact the LVAD team. So try and figure out as soon as that patient gets there, assign somebody, say, hey, we need you to contact you know, the hospital where their doctor is or their LVAD team. It's usually in the person's phone or something like that. They have it if they're able to talk. If not, hopefully in their wallet they have a card with that on there. How do you tell if the pump is working? Uh, there's uh, several different things you can do. First step is usually just listen over the chest for the hum. You'll hear the hum of the LBAD machine. If you have it on them, look at the check the battery. Find the monitor, the controller that'll show you the battery level. Check it for alarms if it's making a noise or might have a blinking light or something like that that's showing you alarm is going off. And then check for the settings. And we'll go through those in a couple of minutes just to see what's important. Uh, check the drive line, the insertion site for that, for infection or any damage. And then an echocardiogram can also be very helpful in these patients. So get your ultrasound to the bedside to take a look at the heart and see what's going on. Okay, you mentioned LVAD settings. What are some mm-hmm. of the normal values we should have in our repertoire, or our toolbox to know what's normal for these patients? Yeah, so there's you know, four different settings or things that it kind of tells you on the monitor. It doesn't really allow you to change anything, which is good. You don't want to change anything on there, but it just kind of, that's all preset by the LVAD team. The only thing you can really do with the monitor is unplug it to turn it off, but you don't want to do that. That's the last thing you want to do. (laughs) So what you want to do is look at the flow, which is normally about two to seven liters per minute. Power is, uh, usually three to seven watts speed is three to ten rpms or three thousand you know three thousand to ten thousand and then pulsatility index which is one to ten and that kind of tells you how much the uh, native heart contractions are contributing to their cardiac output and then it'll also show you different alarms and then some other things you want to do you know initially is also get an ekg get some labs and some important labs to do are cbc electrolytes PT with INR, an LDH, type and screen, plus or minus cultures if you suspect any kind of infection. The LDH kind of seems like a funny one, but that can tell you if there's a thrombotic event, so that's important in these patients. Also, the PT, because most of these patients are both on Coumadin and aspirin, so bleeding is common, so if you think they're volume depleted, look for GI bleed, that's a common one. Okay, and then what are some common complications we need to know about with regards to LVAD patients? 
Arrhythmia is uh, one of the most common things. Actually, VTAC, VFib are very common. Uh, apparently, within the first four weeks of getting it, about half people end up having one of these events where they go into VFib or VTAC. And what you can do with that is usually give them a fluid challenge, correcting the electrolytes because a lot of these people are also on diuretics, so they can also have uh, electrolyte abnormalities, and then doing chemical versus electrical cardioversion. Some people think, oh, well, I don't want to shock them. Well, no, you can. You can shock them just like anything, but just try and avoid putting the pads overneath or over top of the uh, LVAD device. You can do a chest x-ray to kind of see where it is to give you an idea. I mean, if, it, if you have it over it and it happens, it's probably not the end of the world. It can take the shock. It's designed to take that shock. And that's actually what we end up kind of doing with our patients. So going back to our, our 55-year-old male, he was hadn't been feeling well for the past few days and he had forgot to take his medications because he wasn't feeling well. Yet. So one of the medications he was on was amiodarone. So we gave him this amiodarone bolus and then we called the team and we got a hold of somebody from the team and while we were doing that. And they said, well, we gave him the initial 150 milligrams. They said, give another 150, put him on the drip. So we did that. It didn't correct his arrhythmia. He continued to be in VTAC, but he was actually mentating, um, you know, perfusion didn't seem great. His map was about 50, but he was mentating and talking to us. It doesn't feel great, but we're saying, well, <laughs> sometimes it's best to leave well enough alone. But, you know, throughout the course, he actually started to decline a little bit and um, started getting a little bit more altered. So at that point, we decided to do a cardioversion. Finished talking about that at the end. <laughs> Some of the other common complications, like I said before, infection, um, looking at the driveline, if there's signs of infection, doing broad-spectrum antibiotics, and doing uh, fungal coverage as well. About 9% of these patients uh, have uh, fungal infections with their sepsis, so make sure we're doing that. Thrombus is another one. Check the device uh, if the box is warm. It's using more power, and that's an indication that there could be a thrombus. So doing your normal things to treat the thrombus, heparin, and uh, lytics, things like that if necessary. Bleeding is a complication. Obviously, we said these patients are all on Coumadin and aspirin. Reverse that if it's life-threatening. A suction event where uh, underfilled left ventricle can cause the myocardium to suck into the LVAD. Usually, like an IV fluid bolus will help with that. And this is something that can trigger an event like uh, VFib as well or VTAC, irritating that myocardium. So giving a fluid bolus of 250 to 500 cc's can be helpful. Right ventricular failure is also a common problem that uh, could be caused. They already have heart failure, so this could be you know previous RV failure or an acute MI. So look for, look out for those things. Cannula malposition. Uh, that's something uh, that's been noted to consider if there's new ventricular tachycardia or a suction event. Um, chest compressions or trauma can cause that. There's not much we can really do about that. It's something they have to go undergo surgical exploration to see if uh, that's happened. A couple more things. Device malfunction suggested if there's no hum on it, if the map is less than 40, so if they're not perfusing and uh, you don't hear any hum or their map is low, you know, consider that. And then uh, cardiac arrest is the last thing, and then you just do that kind of like your normal ACLS, except for chest compressions are kind of plus minus here. Consult with the LVAD team on this. This is kind of a tricky one, so um, that could dislodge the device, although I guess there was uh, eight documented cases um, where they had done chest compressions. Four of the people 
actually survived with neurolog good neurologic outcome. So, and then the other ones that they did autopsy on the cannula hadn't gotten dislodged. So, and then, like I said earlier, don't place the defib pads over the device. Uh, usually, like in an anterior, posterior kind of sandwich fashion. Okay. A lot of good tips here, Dr. Brock. Why don't you uh, tell us what actually happened with your case? Yeah. So at the end of the case, we end up uh, deciding to do a cardioversion because he is starting to become altered, starting to vomit. And actually, when he vomited, some blood came up. So it was positive for blood. I mean, and it was pretty red. So I think there could have been a GI bleed going on. But we cardioverted him and actually... Uh, after cardioverting him 200 joules, uh, it worked, but for about 15 seconds, and the, all you could see was kind of the electric uh, activity of the uh, LBAD device just causing a little bit of artifact. And then all of a sudden you see a QRS, and then a few seconds later another one, and then it became more regular and he went you know, into a, a bradycardic rhythm. But actually while he was sitting there and talking to... Uh, He's talking to me, and he feel, he's feeling better even with, without any heart rhythm at all. So, you know, this LVAD was doing most of the work for him already, and that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to keep the blood flowing and keep the blood pumping and keep the patient alive until they can get a heart transplant. So yeah, that's the most important thing. Let the LVAD do its job, call early for help, assess the perfusion status, and, you know, get your uh, LVAD team on there to help as much as they can and get them transferred out. So then... LVAD team or the Life Flight team actually showed up about five minutes after we cardioverted him, got him off safely, and we were looking pretty good at that point. Tell me, was that the longest, one of the longest minutes of your life after you cardioverted oh, him? Oh, most definitely. And <laughs> the resident, uh, uh, you know, came up to me after he's like, was that, did that guy not have uh, a heart rhythm for about 15, 20 seconds? And I said, yeah. And I said, okay, I thought so. That was kind of scary. I said, yeah, it was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it all turned out pretty good. I think the the LVAD luckily was functioning in this patient. And, uh, you know, there didn't seem to be any error. It seemed to be uh, some of the other things going on. So either way, good to review LVADs and how they work. I think if you're not familiar with them, it's definitely something that eventually you'll run across. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Dr. Brock, about your LVAD case. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Hill. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. All right.